Well, we are in uh, a series called We Are, and we're going through our five values. And I just want to stop and say, if you didn't catch last week's message, please, this is your homework, go out to the interwebs, find it on our website, listen to it, watch it. If you're uh, somebody who does podcasts, we have an Apple podcast. It's got the video and the audio feed in it. You can go watch it. You can go listen to it, whatever it is your desire. I know you want to watch it because, you know, just throwing it out there. Okay. Um, But yes, it was um, honestly uh, a really important message uh, for our church and for who we're going to be as we move forward. And for the idea that we're going to create space for people that are far from God who don't fit in a regular church, and we're going to do it, and it's okay. Uh, It's who we are. And there's a tension that it gets created, and honestly, we're going to lean into that tension. That's where we're going as a church, to try to find ways to reach people that other people aren't reaching. And so uh, please go listen to that. And I think today is also, obviously all of these are our values, but these first two were ones that I think were birthed um, out of uh, kind of our, our personality when we began. And what's cool about today's value, we are big K kingdom people, is that this was honestly from the very beginning when we were launched, it was one of the most important things because of how we got started. And I want to go back and kind of take you back to the, where the the, the genesis of this church was. And essentially, um, I've told you my story quite a few times. Me and my wife were praying about what we should do. We were thinking maybe God was calling us to church planting. He was moving our hearts in that direction. And we ended up connecting with two churches who were seeking out somebody in this area to plant a church. Uh, and it was weird that those two things would happen, that there would be two churches seeking out a church planter, and it would be us praying. It's almost as if there was this like cosmic element that it, almost as if somebody's in control of everything and just sort of guiding these pieces into place. Um, that's what happened. Uh, and the two churches that were t- coming together trying to look for a church planner and launch a new church uh, were different denominations. Now, that might not seem like a huge thing to you, but it is. In the church world, there are our tribes. There are different churches who have different groups of people, and they kind of do their thing, and they're known for specific things. And so uh, our two churches that planted us, Renovation Church in Blaine and Cornerstone Evangelical Free Church in Blaine. Now notice that for a second. Two different denominations in the same town, separated by less than five miles. Now I, I don't know what your, your story is, your history, but most of the churches that uh, I've been a part of, been involved in, don't necessarily play nice with the people in the same town. There's almost a competition to see who can reach the people in that town. And we don't want them going across town to this other church. We want them coming to our church. We want to grow our church bigger. And we don't care what it does to the other churches in this town. But these two churches that started ours were basically saying, look, we're five miles apart. We're in the same town. But we both believe that the Twin Cities needs more churches. And I want you to know that's true. Uh, The Twin Cities, a lot of us grew up in some sort of uh, religion, A lot of us grew up as uh, Lutherans or maybe Baptists or maybe some of us, you know, charismatic or whatever, you know, Catholic. Put in whatever it is that you grew up in. And most people in the Twin Cities grew up with something. They grew up with some form of religion in their life. In fact, 80% of people in the Twin Cities, if you ask them, are you a Christian, would say, yes, I'm a Christian. You think, well, what do we need new churches for? If 80% of the people in this area would self-identify themselves as a Christian, then why do we need to keep planting new churches? Well, 
The issue is only one in five people in the Twin Cities are in a church on a Sunday morning. So essentially, 20% of our people are connected in some sort of church where they're serving the mission of God, where they are known by other people on a, on a Sunday morning. That's 2.7 million people in the Twin Cities who don't have a church home, who aren't connected every single, every single week. In the Moundsview uh, School District, which we've said is going to be our, really our area where we're focused, and it incorporates a ton of towns in the area. There's a a bit of uh, Roseville, a bit of Spring Lake Park. There's um, almost all of Moundsview, all of New Brighton, uh, m- most of Shoreview. Uh, there's a little bit of White Bear in there. We've really focused on this. There are 50,000 people right now not in church, not connected to a community, don't have a relationship with God, aren't in a place where they're serving the mission of God. And so when we kind of caught that vision for what God was doing, we could see that we needed more churches. Well, these two churches that wanted to plant we're looking for somebody who had that same vision, and that's how we began. That's how we got connected together, okay? And so from the very beginning, what we had was this idea that we're not going to necessarily be about serving ourselves. We're going to be about serving God's kingdom in the Twin Cities, right? Or God's kingdom in the town in which we're planted in or the area in which we're planted in. That there's actually a bigger thing happening than just your little church. Your church is a part of what's going on in the kingdom, but it's just one part of it. And God's doing things all throughout the Twin Cities in all different ways to reach the 2.7 million people who don't necessarily know, know Jesus. And so that's where we came up with we are big K kingdom people. We're not small K. We're not interested in the kingdom of pursuit. We're interested in the kingdom of Jesus in the Twin Cities. So sometimes those two things come into conflict. Sometimes, you know, we have to make decisions where we're thinking about people that aren't part of our church, that aren't, are outside of our purview, that are bigger decisions. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we got a, an opportunity to go down to Dayton's Bluff, which is downtown St. Paul in a pretty rough area. And we got a chance to cook for 300 people who were at a big outreach event, which was servicing another church in that community, right? And we went down and we provided food. And the entire time we were there, we talked to people we, uh, we talked about Jesus. We talked about this amazing church in Dayton's Bluff that they should be connected to, right? Our, our concept in that place was not come up to Moundsview to go to church with us. It was, we're going to serve you right here on behalf of this other church that's doing amazing things in this inner city area, and they're the ones you should be connected to. They're the ones who are culturally relevant for your town, and they're the ones who are connected to the pulse of what's going on here, okay? And we're taking that same concept with the Moundsview School District. I mean, one of the things that I have personally been doing is meeting with every principal on the west side of the school district, okay? Reaching out to those principals and saying, hey, how can we be involved? We are involved in the community center. We are involved in the the Ralph Reeder food shelf. We are involved at the Quincy House, which is doing ministry to teenagers. We're focused on doing what God has called us to do here, but we see we're a smaller part of a bigger thing that's happening. So you ask the question as a Christian, what are you supposed to be doing Right? What are we supposed to be doing when we think about how we're supposed to live as Christians? And what is our church supposed to be doing as it thinks about where it fits in this kingdom of God? And so I want to start with, what are we supposed to be doing as Christians? And it's a, actually a kind of a simple answer. Jesus, after he died, was crucified and was raised from the dead, spent time with his disciples talking about the kingdom of God. Right? And he gave us what is the great, known as the great commission. I like saying commission because... I know it's commission, and I know it's not the same word, but I like the word commission because I feel like Jesus has called us to be on mission with him 
in our everyday lives. And he laid out what that looks like, right? So in Matthew 28, chapter, or chapter 28, verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, this is after his death, after his resurrection, after he had spent time with his disciples, before he had gone into heaven. This was one of the last things he was teaching his disciples. This is what we're called to do as Christians. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Everything is mine. I have all the power. I'm what you need. Follow me. Listen, take my lead. Do what I'm asking you to do. Do the things that I've shown you. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Jesus gives us a mission as Christians to follow. That we're supposed to be out sharing this good news, this gospel with people. That we're supposed to be out making disciples, baptizing people, uh, teaching them to obey everything that we've been commanded to or that he has commanded us to do. And the fact that the power of this is done through him. If you feel overwhelmed by the idea that you're called to that mission, that's okay. Jesus is the one that does the work. You are called to be obedient and to be on mission next to Christ in your everyday life. When you find yourself going to work, when you find yourself in those little league practices, when you find yourself in your neighborhood connecting with people, when you find yourself at school, right, you have a chance to be on co-mission with Jesus. He's called you to be paying attention to what he's doing, the people he loves, and asking you to fulfill that mission in your everyday life. And imagine the change that that makes if all of us are doing that. Just imagine what's possible when all of us are doing that. But then you start to think about, well, what is the church supposed to be doing, right? So if that's what a Christian is supposed to do, what is the church supposed to do, right? Are we supposed to have the exact same mission as Jesus or as Jesus gave us as individuals? Was it a little bit different? Does it look different? And I want to go to the beginning of the church because the church didn't exist before Jesus went into heaven. We There were people with. Jesus had a small group of followers. He had a a couple hundred people who were following him, listening to his teaching. But then he went into heaven, and what he left was not a... He didn't didn't run a capital campaign and build a giant building. He He didn't leave us with a cathedral to him. He left us with people. He left us with a church. And the church had to figure out what it looks like to operate. And so in Acts chapter 1, it talks about what the church should be doing or what the church's purpose is. Take a look. Okay, so this is Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 1. And this is Luke who wrote this book, and it comes right on the heels of his gospel. So his gospel is the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, and the beginning of this is the ascension into heaven, and then Acts is sort of the next part of how the church begins. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, so he's writing this to a specific person to tell them about Christ and about the beginning of the church. I wrote all about Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken into heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen, right? So I told you all about Jesus' life. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to change directions just a little bit, and I'm going to talk about now what's going on after he's been gone. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So Jesus was here for 40 days after his resurrection before he went into heaven. I don't know if we always put those two things together. In my mind, the way it reads when we're reading the gospel is like Jesus dies, he resurrects, and then he just sort of floats into the air, right? Maybe you've not realized that Jesus was around for 40 days, and Jesus was teaching his disciples what he wanted them to do. And what was he teaching them about? The big K, 
the big K, the kingdom of God. He wanted them to be known in the area for them serving Jesus still after he was gone and making sure that his kingdom was being built. And this is kind of the, the conversation for the church. This is where he starts to line them up and get them ready to take over and create the first church. It goes on, it says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, and by the way, food has to be part of any great church, just throwing it out there. I think we're doing that really well, by the way. He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he basically tells them, hey, look, you're not going to have to do this on your own, and you're not going to be alone. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to make sure that the kingdom of God gets built in this new body of believers in this new church. He said, then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So he starts talking about the kingdom of God, and they ask the question which shows where they're at in their spiritual development. They are still not aware of what the kingdom of God looks like, and they are still thinking about this kingdom as being nationalistic. It's, it's the kingdom of Israel that they're interested in, not the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom that they think that Jesus is going to leave them and build through them, and not the kingdom that he really wants them to build, which is the church, which is to show the world who Christ is. And so they ask the question that shows where their heart is. Are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are we now going to be out from the tyranny of Rome? Are we going to get the boot off our neck that Rome has on us right now? Are we now as a nation going to be free to go back to living the way that we want to live and not being uh, under this occupation that Rome has us under? It's, it's a different question. They, they clearly don't understand what Jesus is calling them to do. And I, and I think it's still kind of confusing sometimes when we think about a church because we're, we, we think about a place that we love and that we want to build and we want to see grow and we want to see have, have fruit and see people get to know Christ and be baptized. And all those things are good. But sometimes we find ourselves asking the question, uh, Jesus, are you now going to restore the kingdom to, of pursuit? Are you now going to restore the kingdom that is right here, right now? And in reality, Jesus is calling us to something that's way outside of that. He's saying, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in this world. And I want you to establish the God's kingdom here right now where you are. And I'm going to continue to establish this all over the world, all over the world, everywhere, as it grows and as it moves. He goes on in verse 7. He says, he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they're like, "Uh, okay, so the Holy Spirit is going to be the one that guides us in this. So that's good. That sounds like a thing. And now he's calling us to be witnesses, and they're like, great, be witnesses in Jerusalem. We love that idea. We love the idea of being witnesses right here where our people are, where we have a temple, right, where we can go into the courts and we can talk to Jews and we can convert the Jews to be part of this new thing. And that's about as far as they wanted to go. And then Jesus says, no, no, no. I want you to be witnesses in Jerusalem and also in Judea. They're like, Judea, that's cool. We can do that. That's like, that's our area. That's kind of the area that we live in. We have influence in Judea. We can continue to reach out into to Judea, that sounds good, and Samaria, and they're like, nope, 
Uh, Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but um, I don't know if you were paying attention last week. Uh, the Samaritan, like Samaria, like that, there are enemies. They're not people we're going to reach out to. We, we don't like them. They, we look down at them. Uh, we think that they're half-breeds. We think that they're not like us. We don't want to reach out to the Samaritans. And then it says he calls them to reach out to the ends of the earth. And they're like, that's really uncomfortable. We just want to focus on our little thing right here. Jesus called us as a church to be witnesses to his death and resurrection in our community, in our area, and out to the ends of the earth, even if it means that we go to our enemies. That's what it looks like. That's what the church needs to be doing. That we're called to be witnesses. We're called to give witness to the fact that Christ died and was resurrected and that transformation is available to anyone who would respond to Jesus' gospel. That's our goal. So we're focused on Jerusalem and we're focused on Judea here in the Twin Cities. And we're working on the ends of the earth. I'll go through that more in a minute. But that's what we're called to do as a church, not to be focused on one thing. And if you read through the story, they don't exactly get it right. So the Holy Spirit comes and all of a sudden 3,000 people show up at their door. That's an awesome church launch, by the way. We had 300 people at our launch. They had 3,000 people except Jesus the day that they launched. That's pretty unbelievable, right? That's like, okay, the Holy Spirit's in this. This is going to be amazing. And then they sat on their hands. And it says through the first seven chapters, it talks about how the church was built in Jerusalem. And then it says in, uh, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, by the way, this is Acts 1, verse 8, that says you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the rest of the earth. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says a great persecution broke out against the church. And all the people in the church were spread out to Judea and the surrounding areas. Because Jesus' plan for the church was not just to stay in one spot, but was to continue to reach the world. The fact that we're here today is a testament to the fact that they eventually got it right and the church began to spread and began to take root in all kinds of different communities and began to grow. And today we still exist. We're worshiping today because people 2,000 years ago were sharing Jesus' gospel all over the Mediterranean basin. I mean, it's incredible to see What's happening now because of them? And so the, this, this uh, connection between sort of the, the, the Jews moving from this idea of our kingdom is Israel to the, our kingdom is God's kingdom was a really tough transition. You have to think of it from an old school church Sunday school kind of mentality. Now, I don't know how many of you guys grew up. I'm going to pick on Baptist for just a minute because that, kind of that was kind of where I grew up in, in and the churches that I was involved in. And like, so there was like a dress code when you showed up in a Baptist church. Like you, you there were certain things that you had to do correctly. And I, I think you guys know me well enough to know that I'm really bad, really bad with like etiquette. Like if you invite me over to your house, you're going to be like, did this guy grow up in a barn? Like what is the story here? My wife still makes fun of me because the first time I met her mother uh, and went over to their house for dinner, I first of all had a hat on at the table, which I got yelled at for. Then... Um, I took butter off the butter dish and used the, the thing that was there on the plate to wipe it onto my bread. And I didn't realize, her mom dropped her fork on her plate and gasped audibly. <laughs> They're very proper in the Schultz household. Um, I've luckily been able to repair the relationship with my mother-in-law 
Uh, and I think now she just makes a, an allotment for me. She's just like, okay, he's not going to get it figured out. It's fine. Uh, the first church had a lot of problems with etiquette, right? They, they had these very religious people who grew up following all these rules. And then all of a sudden, they threw their doors open and invited in the whole world. And you know what happens when that happens? There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of people saying, hey, if you want to be one of us, you got to do all these Jewish things. You got to eat a certain way, dress a certain way, do certain things. There's like 600 laws you got you to follow. And these first believers were sort of mixing their religion with Jesus' grace. And it led to a lot of tension. People were coming in, they were receiving the Holy Spirit, and then being told you need to be circumcised and you got to eat a certain way. And, you gotta, and there was conflict. There was tension that was growing in this church. And there was really tension over what this kingdom was going to look like. If this kingdom was going to be God's kingdom or Israel's kingdom, was it going to be Jesus' kingdom or was it going to be this, this offshoot of, of Judaism? And uh, I want to go to Ephesians chapter 2 because I think this really explains the heart of this kingdom. Look what it says in verse 12. It says, remember that, and this is uh, Paul speaking to people uh, right now in this section who are not the religious folk. Those of us who didn't grow up in a church, don't know the etiquette, couldn't quite figure it out, got mixed into the religious people and still are still like, why do they do weird stuff? I don't know, right? He says, remember that, that at a time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. He says, if it was just based on Israel's kingdom, you'd be excluded. You wouldn't be one of them. You, you couldn't make your way into that. He says, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He says, the new kingdom brings everybody in. The new kingdom makes allotment for those of us who know the etiquette and those of us who don't. It brings a lot, it gives us a, a, a way to connect people who are very, very far away from God into a group of people who are doing their best to be holy and follow Jesus and read his word and make decisions based on his leading and his prompting. The first church was merging two kingdoms. It was saying the kingdom of Israel and God's kingdom need to come and become one and we need to be focused on what Jesus is calling us to do. He goes on, he says, for he himself, Jesus himself is our peace. He has made the two groups one. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. He says, Jesus set aside all the religiosity that comes along with following God and just focused on the idea of finding grace for people and inviting them in. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, not a whole bunch of little kingdoms, one kingdom out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The cross is the thing that brings all of these uh, people into one kingdom. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. He says, those of you who are growing up religious and doing your best and trying to figure it out and doing what was good, being moral people, he came for you. And those of you who are out sowing your wild oats and living on your own and serving yourself, he also came for you. That this is not, this is not, doesn't have to be two separate groups. Like Jesus came to bring peace to all of those people, those who were far and those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens. You're adopted into this kingdom. 
You're a part of what Jesus is doing. You're a citizen in the new, the new kingdom. With God's people and also members of his household, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Again, all about Jesus. In him, the whole building, the whole kingdom, the whole church is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He says, so you have a a co-mission with Jesus because Jesus' spirit now lives inside of you. And you as a group of people now are being built into a house, into a kingdom that is serving God's plan for where you are located. And we are doing this across the globe in every community. That's what it looks like. That's the kingdom that we've been called to be part of. But that's not always how it works. Um, So uh, a year ago, when we sat down with Ralph Reeder, I walked in and I was excited. I was like, man, we get to finally make some connections in the community. We've been talking about church for a really long time. Now I'm going to go sit down with some people. and We're going to work out how we're going to be involved in this community. And I sat down with the people at Ralph Reeder who are amazing, by the way. Sue and Lisa, if you ever get a chance to go down there and a volunteer, they're amazing. Um, and I sat down with them and I said, you know, I'm full of ideas. I'm a vision person, right? So I can kind of wear people out who are implementers, who have like, um, think of every problem with the ideas that I'm coming up with. And sometimes I could just be throwing ideas up at the wall just to see if anything will stick, right? And I'm a mile a minute and I'm thinking about stuff that we can do and I'm just kind of going... And Megan, I'm really sorry. She's laughing at me because if I'm the vision, Megan's the implementation, right? And so she has to deal with all those ideas all the time. Um, and so I sit down at this table with uh, the Ralph Reader Food Shelf, and we're just we're talking about how we can be involved. She's like, yeah, we'll get some of your people over here, and we'll get them serving, and, you know, we do this little training, and we'll get them all set up, and they can come over and serve. And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. But I was like, you know, we just we want to make a difference in the community. There's got to be a, a really big idea out there. And, uh, and I could just read her face. Her face was just kind of like, uh-huh, okay. And I stopped the conversation, and I said, uh, hey, Lisa, um, have you been in this conversation before? And have people not followed through on what we're talking about, where, where somebody comes in, and they have big ideas, and they want to get involved, and then they just don't do anything with that? And she was like, yeah, yep, exactly. And then she said, hey, last time we did a food drive, we sent information out to every church in the entire community, and we heard back from one. And I was like, okay. Let's start with a food drive. <laughs> Let's start with, and we ended up doing uh, baby uh, stuff because it was the end of the year and they needed donations for single moms. And uh, so we showed up, we dropped that stuff off. And then she called us back a month later and said, hey, you know, we got something going on here, and uh, we, we have post office people, or the Cub Scouts are bringing in food, and we need you guys to weigh it and then sort it and put it on the shelf. And she's like, we kind of need like 20 people. I know it's kind of short notice, and I was like, done. We showed up with 20 people, and we did what God called us to do in that moment. And then a couple weeks later, she's like, we got this other thing with the post office, they're dropping off stuff, can you guys come? And we showed up. And then we went back and we said, okay, what needs to be done? What's a big idea? And she kind of laid out an idea that 
she honestly thought probably wouldn't find its way into what we were going to do. And we grabbed hold of it. And so one of the things she laid out to us, and, and I, I kind of want to go through uh, a little bit of kind of our concept of what it looks like to be kingdom-minded before I get right to this. But so, so here's, what, here's what we're thinking, right? We need to be reaching Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And I'm going to be honest with you right now, our global how we're reaching the world has not been settled yet. We have given uh, $5,800 to uh, a charity in Haiti, which shipped an entire bus of uh, medical supplies and building supplies over to Haiti, which is actually sitting right now in customs. Ruben is going to go pick it up in two weeks and drive it to the people. Yep. And He's promised me video and pictures when it happens so that we can celebrate, right, of it showing up and uh, being used in the mission down there. And so we've been a little bit involved in Haiti, and we haven't quite figured out what else we're doing globally, okay? But locally, here's what's going on locally, and here's where we know we're called to be involved. We talked a little bit about the Quincy House. It's a ministry to at-risk teenagers in our community. It is literally like five blocks from here. You could walk there. Okay, it's very close. Our youth group has been meeting there, making connections, and we've been serving. This Actually, this last week, we had our kids and the Quincy House kids together for an event. It was really awesome. We've done a couple of uh, projects with them, and also we give a $5 donation to them every time we get a card in from one of you guys. And so they're our local partner. Same with Ralph Reeder. We've been there many times. We're connected with them. We're in the, the process of what they're doing, and they basically work with the school system to feed people in this area that need to be fed. The community center, we've been doing work with right here with some of the stuff that's been going on. We come alongside the thing they do at Halloween and at Christmas. We've been alongside them working with some of the needier people in the community center, and when they have needs, they call us now and go, hey, we got this thing going on. Can you guys help with this? And we're all about it. And then we are also focused on church planting. And I know that sounds a little bit bizarre, but we felt like we were kind of birthed that way. We were brought into existence by two churches that had this philosophy of church planting, and we want to give back. And so we've we've given over $8,000, I believe, to Quincy House and Ralph Reeder since we've existed. And we've also put aside around uh, $9,000 for our church planting fund. We would like that to be $30,000 in three years, and we would like to call a church planter uh, in our midst and send them out with a co-church where we work together, where we are big K kingdom minded and we reach another area of the Twin Cities for Jesus, right? But uh, here's what happened in that meeting with Lisa where I said, hey, what is it that you want us to do? And she said, hey, in the, in the northern part of Ramsey County, there's this resource fair. Or sorry, in the southern part of Ramsey County, there's this resource fair. It's like down in St. Paul where they essentially bring in all of these groups together and they service their community by offering up all of, this, all of this stuff in one location. So parents can come with their kids and they can get like a doctor checkup, they can do dental stuff, they can sign up for WIC, they can sign up for food stamps, they can get connected with, uh, with area groups that are really focused on serving the needy in the area. And she said, we would like to bring one of those to Moundsview. Because it's the northern part. People from Moundsview don't go down into the city, and there's a lot of need right here. If you know, Our high school is 40% minority, and half of the kids in our, um, in our school are on food assistance. And so we're in a different community than I think the northern suburbs looks like normally. All right? We have uh, Section 8 apartments right here. We've got 
you know, trailer park, uh, two trailer parks within like almost walking distance of this place. We want to be servicing the people that Ralph Reader is servicing. And so they said, we want to bring one of these. And so we decided to do it. And uh, we scheduled it for September 21st. Uh, and here's what it's going to look like. We've already been meeting for months. Uh, we're going to take over the entire community center on September 21st. And here's some of the things that we already have on the docket and more to come. There's going to be a free farmer's market from Ralph Reeder. Uh, they're basically going to be giving away free produce to anyone who shows up. Free lunch that we're providing, right? We talked about food being one of our gifts. There it is. Uh, rock climbing wall from the Mounds View Police. Job advice, career training, job opportunities, resume help. Free preschool program information and screening. Child and teen checkups, health checkups. That's both dental and medical checkups that you can see a doctor quickly. Um, energy assistance, meals for seniors, library cards, information on mental health services, and senior uh, chore program, which is teenagers who go and serve seniors in the, in the area. Free food resources and application assistance, SNAP and NAPS, which SNAP is, uh, used to be called food stamps, and NAPS is like senior food stamps. I'm just going to let that lie. I'm not going to make a joke about that. Uh, but honestly, it's perfect. It is. Uh, Wellness check and consultation from a personal trainer. And so we have partnered with Ralph Reeder, and we have partnered with the community center, and we've been working on this for six months. We've been feeling like God was calling us to step into our community, to throw the doors open, and to invite everybody who has need in our area, and to know that Pursuit Community Church is going to be the kind of place that loves them and serves them and comes alongside them, along with the organizations that are actively working in our community. And one of the funny things was, um, by the way, we're going to need 60 volunteers to pull it off. So there's my big idea. Uh, it's essentially going to be all of us. One of the things that was really interesting is as I was talking with them, they were like, yeah, we have this other church that wants to work at the, uh, at the farmer's market on that day. Is it okay that this other church in our neighborhood comes and serves on that day in the farmer's market. And I was sad that they asked me that question because there are 50,000 people in the Moundsview School District area who aren't connected to a church, potentially don't know Jesus, have no community, aren't part of something. We could plant 20 mega churches in the Moundsview School District and still not reach every person right now who's at home. There is no way to see God's kingdom other than we need to be working together with every gospel-centered organization, church, group that we can get next to and carry the load together so Jesus' name is held high in this area and people know who he is. This is what we are called to. We are called to be big K kingdom people, not small K. You know, if you ask me, uh, how big do you want this church to be? My answer is, that's a terrible question. Because God is going to make this church whatever size it is. And I even think about my personal leadership. I need to be growing as a leader as we grow. And we've been growing consistently since we opened. But I don't know what my capacity is. I don't know what the capacity of this church is. And let's just say that 
I don't know, we, uh, we hit 500 people. I don't know. That seems like a crazy thought right now. I don't know what God's going to do. But let's just say we, we, we do that. Well, let's also say at the same time that we're planting churches every three to five years. Let's say over a 20 to 25-year period, we send out another seven congregations. And they all grow to two to 300 people. And they all bring the gospel of the community that they're planted in. And they all start doing the same thing that we're doing right here. We will reach far more people by being big K kingdom than being, by being small K only focused on what we're doing at Pursuit. And so I know we're called to Jerusalem and Judea right here, right around us, and to be wading into that. And I know we're also called to be sending churches and missionaries and people who are going to reach out to the ends of the earth. That is what it means to be big K kingdom people. We're interested in Jesus' kingdom only. We're a part of it. We get to be a part of it. We get to see what God's doing here. We get to respond and be obedient right here. But we get to see him do things that are way bigger than whatever we have in mind. And so on your seats, if you want to be obedient to Jesus, <laughs> we need you. We need 60 people to sign up to join us. And I want you to know that we'll work with you on time. We'll put you in a place that you like. There's a lot of opportunities. We have a whole team of people that are starting to work on this. We'll get you slotted into the right spot for you. Don't worry. We'll make it work for you. But we need everybody. This is what God's calling us to do. So please sign up. Please let us know you're interested. We'll get you on the list. We'll get, you, get it worked out. Um, I want to pray. And then I want to finish with a song. Jesus, you prayed for God's will to be done and for his kingdom to be made great on this earth. That God, you called us to create this kingdom wherever we go. I pray that we'd be the kind of Christians that create it in our neighborhoods, that we'd be the kind of Christians that create it in our families, in our in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces, God, that wherever we go, we bring your kingdom with us and we create a place where your kingdom begins to break through, where heaven is felt in that moment, where heaven begins to, to be part of what's going on in those places, God. Would you use us? Would you use us to reach people who are far from you? Would you use the collective church that you've called us to create here, to reach our community? Jesus, you've given us a big vision to reach hundreds of people on September 21st and 22nd. Would you show us what it looks like to be serving your kingdom in those moments and to be big K kingdom people? And God, would you bring some of those 50,000 people who are home right now into this place? Would your gospel take root in their heart? Would you transform them through the ministry of the church you called us to create? Thank you for this big vision, Jesus. Help us to live up to what you called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.